Welcome everyone to the Dental Revenue Live podcast where we discuss topics in dentistry with industry leaders. I'm your host Bill Mulcahy and today's topic is going to be a great one as we're going to discuss why it's important to align what you're saying to your patients with the visions and goals of your practice. Our guest today is Dr. John Cranham from Chesapeake, Virginia. John has been a longtime client and supporter of Dental Revenue and we are absolutely honored that he's agreed to join us. Dr. Cranham is the clinical director of the Dawson Academy, which is a prestigious continuing education organization in St. Petersburg, Florida. John is also an internationally recognized speaker with over 25 years experience teaching courses and presenting continuing education sessions to dental professionals. He leads many seminars at the Dawson Academy and has been a keynote speaker for many conferences, including the Chicago Midwinter and Hinman Dental Society. John's insight on our topic today is without a doubt second to none. So please help me in welcoming Dr. Cranham to Dental Revenue Live. So how are you doing today, John? I'm doing great, Bill. How are you? Great, great. It's uh, great to speak with you again, and, and I'm really happy to have you here with us, and, and I'm very excited about this topic. Um, what we're going to go over today is basically discussing the concept of, of messaging and how as a dentist progresses through their career, it becomes extremely important to align the messages they are communicating with their patients with the overall visions and goals of the practice. Um, this is an idea that I know you and I have spoken about a lot over the years, and I know it's a, a challenge, or you've expressed it's a challenge for a lot of the students that have come through the programs at the Dawson Academy. Um, but before we get started, I kind of want to give the listeners an opportunity to get to know you and, and a little bit about the Dawson Academy. So um, why don't we start with something simple and just tell us a little bit, a bit about yourself and, and your practice. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was born up in Canada and, and moved down to Michigan at about two. Uh, grew up there and, and uh, went to a small school in Ohio and ended up in Virginia for uh, dental school, uh, kind of kind of by chance almost. Um, <laughs> but, but then, you know, I ended up staying there and meeting my wife and uh, bought a little practice in uh, 1988. It was sort of, that was not the best time to be getting out of dental school because um, they're just, everybody thought there was too many dentists and dentists were going to go away. Um, I was broke, <laughs> so I bought a, a little practice that was pretty much all I could afford in Portsmouth, Virginia, and was lucky enough to hear Pete Dawson six months out of school, who sort of, um, you know, got, got me on fire and, and kind of created a vision of the kind of dentistry that I wanted to do. And, uh, and so we, we just started with a very simple bread and butter practice and, and began to work to, uh, towards doing primarily comprehensive care and aesthetics and implants and TMJ. And so that's crazy, but it's 31 years ago now. Um, (laughs) so I've had a nice career, uh, kind of seen the aesthetic revolution come and enjoyed that. And, and then implants was a surge and, uh, kind of through all that, there's always been occlusal problems and people with TMJ problems. Uh, that's been a very, very fun career, both clinically and, of course, on the teaching side. So what, what got you into dentistry um, in, in, in the first place? I mean, what inspired you to go into that field? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I When I was in Michigan, I, my dad was the first person in our family ever to even graduate college. So nobody, there was no doctors or dentists or anything in my family. Um, but I had a job uh, in the summertime on an inland lake in Michigan where I, I taught sailing and, and kind of was the one one employee. I cut the grass and there's just this little tiny uh, yacht club in on a little inland <laughs> lake. And um, it's it's crazy, but I there were two passions I had at that time is I loved to fly fish and I tied all my own flies and and I liked working at that at that yacht club. And um, it, it turned out that there were a lot of dentists uh, that that belonged there and a lot of them fished and they would buy my flies for me. And uh, and I just was intrigued by um, their life and and their family and they seem to be all happy and have time and <laughs> and, uh, and I just I was just drawn to it and anyway one of the dentists mentioned that one day that if I uh if I could tie flies like that I'd be a great dentist and that's that's <laughs> I, it never occurred to me until that moment and so I started I kind of went over to his office and saw what he did and and that's how it started it's crazy what a great story that's that uh, that I, I I know you've told me that before, but I just thought it. Uh, I just love that story. It's great to hear it every time. So, um, I mean, what about dentistry? Do you like Do you like the most? I mean, have you as you said, it's been a it's been a long time now, and so looking back, I mean, what yeah. what would you say has been the best part of it? It's a combination. I, I love the challenge of of um of what we do. Um, you know, there's there's just always challenges and the kind of cases that I'm involved with are challenging and sometimes patients are challenging in terms of, um, you know, just what they present with, whether they can't open very wide or their personality or whatever. Um, and, and, but, I, but I love and I love the fact that we're, you know, I'm, I'm now with my patient base, I'm seeing, you know, the the kids of little kids that I saw when they were two or three years old, you know, I mean, I. Yeah, <laughs> three, there are three generations in a lot of these families. So I love that part of it. And and on the other side of it is I love dentists. I love the whole teaching aspect of what I do and helping other dentists become better and have the life that they hope they could have as as a dentist. Um, so, if, you, know, I, you know, Pete likes to say that, you know, dentistry could, can, is almost like the best hobby. And I kind of look at it like that. I, I love... Um, uh, I like working with my hands and uh, solving problems, and I like the people. It's just we're just as a profession, we're we're incredibly blessed compared to you know some of my friends who are attorneys or accountants, and um, it's just it's I think what we do makes a tremendous difference, and yet we can work pretty reasonable hours and make great income, and so I you know I I just I'm so fortunate that I. Kind of fell into it all those years ago. Would you say that there's a, a type of dentistry you like to do the most? Is there something that stands out as as if you have an opportunity to work on a specific case that's that that's your favorite, or or do you like kind of a combination of everything? I definitely, I definitely like doing um, anything in the anterior. I mean, I like doing veneers and. Uh, and I like doing implants and you know, I love all anything that's up front. Um, I think it's it's uh, I think we're pretty good at it. And, and I, I think that it's it's kind of it's what you seem to get the most um, 
spiritual reward from from the standpoint of, of really changing somebody. Um, so I, I really look forward to to those kind of cases. Uh, and it's been a big part of my my career and my practice for sure. Great. Great. No, that's great. So you had mentioned fly fishing. So I think that's a good transition into my next question is, you know, outside of dentistry, what are some of your passions? Well, definitely fishing. Um, you know, it's <laughs> there's 15 or 20 years when my kids are growing where I, I didn't get to do it quite as much as I'd like. And over the last uh, four or five years, I've really gotten back into it and been, you know, to all the streams around here, but, but also for the first time been to the Bahamas and to Belize and fish for bonefish and permit and tarpon and that kind of stuff. So I absolutely love that. Um, and then the other big, big thing is we have a, a house at Smith mountain Lake and pretty much anything there. Uh, I just love, I just love being there, whether, um, you know, on the water or not. Um, we like, we have a boat where we can do some wakeboarding and wake surfing. I've kind of, retired from wakeboarding but i'm i do a lot of wake surfing. <laughs> wake surfing is not nearly as uh hard in the body um yeah i love that and i and i'm i'm while i'm horrible at it i i like playing golf too I'm just not a very good golf <laughs> see I, I i you and i are kind of the opposite i'm i'm a decent golfer and i'm a horrible fisherman but ironically my my five-year-old son is is extremely into fishing and we were just on vacation and all I wanted to do was fish. So I, I, I got to learn how to do it fast. So that's yeah. uh, kind of great. It, kind of interesting how everything comes, comes full circle like that. So okay. um, wonderful. So, so let's uh, talk a little bit about the Dawson Academy. I mean, for the listeners that may not know a lot about the Dawson Academy or maybe want to know a little bit more, can you tell us a little bit about that organization? Sure. Well, it was started by Dr. Peter Dawson, and I, and again, if, if people aren't familiar with him, uh, they might not realize it. But you know, a lot of the the contemporary content devoted to occlusion um, came out of his mind and the minds of of some of the people that he was working closely with in the in the 60s and, and 70s. Um, he wrote three textbooks, uh, true textbooks on occlusion. The fourth one was a book we wrote together with our faculty. It's more of a, uh, it's called The Complete Dentist. It's a, almost the Reader's Digest version a little bit. And then he just mm -hmm. finished his uh, his autobiography called A Better Way. Uh, but Pete, you know, his mind in terms of um, being able to simplify extremely complex subjects was really his gift. And so, you know, the Dawson Academy has always been devoted to um, teaching dentists how to do larger, let's say it, play, say it this way, solving more complex problems, particularly related to occlusion and function, you know, wear, mobility, sore muscles, TMJ problems, things like that. And so we have currently a uh, curriculum of, a core curriculum of seven classes, uh, basically 21 days of education that either can be done in person or a percentage of it online. Uh, and dentists from all over the world, we we do it in, uh, in in several different countries and multiple locations in the U.S. And then we have an advanced uh, restorative track and uh, a couple of other a couple of other uh, advanced tracks that that you know get into uh, more sophisticated things like all on four, all on five, worn dentition, 
advanced TMD problems, sleep, um, you know, airway type stuff, uh, advanced aesthetic things. So, you know, it, it, we're really trying to be the place where when a dentist wants to go from sort of the, the usual and customary dentistry that they learned in dental school, where they're working in, you know, the patient's habitual occlusion or maybe single teeth or quadrants and go beyond that and, and really have solid protocols for doing veneer cases or, or implant cases or uh, changing vertical dimension or, you know, interdisciplinary type cases. That's, that's what we help doctors do is create protocols for some of these more advanced things. So they can have the same degree of predictability with these complex things as they do their, their regular, you know, bread and butter type dentistry. Definitely. Um, now, do you see like a, a, a typical profile of a student that would come to to the Dawson Academy? I mean, it, whether it's that they're at a certain point in their career or, or they've sort of had an epiphany about um, the type of dentistry that they want to start doing. I mean, is there a, a profile of, of most of the students coming there? It's really interesting when I when I went through it in sort of the late 80s, early 90s, um, almost everybody was sort of, uh, you know, um, like 49 years old and just were was tired of doing amalgams. I mean, they were coming to learn to do more advanced things. Now it's a it's a broader, uh, definitely a broader spectrum spectrum that the average age of a, of the dental student or of a Dawson student now is is way younger. Uh, it's mm -hmm. probably mid thirties, early to mid thirties, definitely split between male and female, um, you know, all from all over the world. So all different, you know, cultures and races. And, um, but I do think it's, it's shifting a little bit earlier. And I think part of it's because of the, you know, people are just living longer. And so the, the base patient that people see, um, there's just more complex things going on. There's more of a need to know how to solve functional and occlusal problems. And so I people think people are recognizing that. I also do see um, some docs maybe that come in, not as many of them, but a percentage of them towards the end of their career, uh, middle to end of their career, where they uh, have had great success financially, but are really looking to be able to uh, really help the population that they're seeing that's getting a little bit older. You know, as dentists, you tend to have a lot of your patients around your own age. And so as that population gets older, there, there is a greater need to uh, be able to solve some of the, the, the problems that, with, that we teach dentists how to solve. Um, but, I, but I would say generally it's, it's a little bit of a younger, younger crowd now, which makes it really fun. Yeah, no, I think that's extremely interesting how the the you know ages of the patients and and the extended lifespan of of a lot of the the patients has really affected kind of the dentistry that needs to be done. So, you know, that's that that's really interesting stuff. Um, I also think that that this aging population, um, you know, their parents, a lot of them just went to dentures, and I think this aging population now, the boomers. Uh, they they're wanting to keep their teeth and uh, yeah they don't want <laughs> and if they can't keep their teeth they want implants so so it's it's just it, the nature of dentistry being able to solve more complex things is definitely increasing and and increased a lot since I started for sure 
Now, you know, we could have uh, non-dentists listening to this podcast and potential patients of, of a, a Dawson, Dawson, Dawson practice. Um, you know, what does being a Dawson dentist mean to uh, a potential patient or a patient out there that, that wants to know the difference between, you know, what maybe they've experienced in the past with a dentist and, and a Dawson dentist? I think the way to think about it is, is dentists in general are taught in dental school to understand how to diagnose and treat biologic problems, which is, you know, might be problems with your gums, or it might be a decay problem with a, uh, you know, with teeth where we learn how to, to, to solve the, you know, get rid of the gum disease or take the tooth out or, you know, fill the tooth. We also learn basic structural um, techniques where maybe we crown a tooth or do an onlay uh, to save the individual tooth. But what we don't really get a lot of training on is, is if the bite is not working. So if, if you're a patient that your teeth are wearing out or you've got constant headaches from a bad bite or you have a TMJ problem or you've got the clicking and popping in the joint, with the pain and headaches, you know, we're not really trained very well how to do that. And so what a Dawson dentist will do is they will combine their knowledge that they learned in dental school about all the biologic and structural issues with a protocol or an understanding of how to visualize um, maybe a new bite uh, that would manage the force better, uh, uh, maybe, ma maybe visualize a new position of teeth that would would look great for a new smile and be able to chew properly and speak properly. Um, I think a lot of times dentists that haven't had the proper training may just try to do more teeth and, and, and that sometimes will work out and sometimes it won't. So, so again, a Dawson dentist is going to be able to handle more complex problems. And so I see in my practice a lot of times patients that find us and are looking for somebody that is kind of beyond usual and customary that can do those types of things. And so doctors with train that train with us also experience a uh, you know, higher degree of predictability in solving some of those adva more advanced issues. That's, that, that's great, that's great. Now, you know, you, you do a wonderful job at articulating that. Do you find a lot of the students that come through the program have dif difficulties, more difficulties articulating that? I mean, is it, is it something that, that um, is easy for, for the, the average dentist coming through the program to explain? I just think it's variable. You know, I, th I think some people are naturally good at explaining things, and, and I think other people struggle with it. I mean, I, I know some dentists that are unbelievably good dentists, but aren't, the, aren't great communicators. And, so I, I do think sometimes we have to help them with that uh, because it's, it's terrible when we have somebody that can do this kind of dentistry, but maybe struggles a little bit with letting the world know that they can do it. Um, and, and you have other people that maybe not be, that aren't as well trained, but they're really likable and slick and charismatic and track people in that, that maybe aren't always satisfied with the results. So, you know, we want to help our doctors that, pay the, the time and, you know, the sweat and the price and all that stuff of, of uh, 
of doing this type of dentistry at this level and get good at it and make sure that they're aligned with patients that need that need them. Do you find that that the ability to articulate is it, the the value is is one of the biggest challenges once they go out into the world and and start to try to implement this or or are there other issues as well yeah. that you see? Again, it's 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 doctor specific, but but there are I have seen uh, several dentists over the years whose gifts are with their hands and with their clinical knowledge and aren't as gifted with with their verbal skills. I've seen other doctors who are really good at the verbal skills and have to work really hard clinically. Um, so I, I think the most important thing for a doctor is to recognize where they're weak and then get help. Um, now, sometimes in a practice, it might not be even the dentist that is the person that should be describing what's going on. It might be a staff person who's really gifted at it. So those are the type of things we've got to recognize and think about and, and begin with that honest assessment of if you're not doing the volume of dentistry that you would like to be doing, why? Why is it happening? And I, you know, you guys do a really good job in terms of um, helping dentists with that and helping dentists, you know, set up a, a portal or a website that uh, allows them to show their work and allows them to uh, get known when when people start searching for these problems. And as we both know, that's kind of where it is today. You know, if people have a problem with worn teeth, they don't ask their neighbor. They go online and search worn teeth. I mean, that's what they do. Um, so yeah. And and, and you know, I, I really think that gets into one of the, the concepts we've discussed in the past and 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 really something that that, you know, is is near and dear to my heart is is when people and when patients start to have problems, it becomes less of a decision on convenience. Like this dentist is close to my house or maybe he accepts my insurance and gets more into do I really believe through what this dentist is telling me that they can help me solve the problem that I have. So, so you know, it, it becomes more of an emotional decision and that emotional decision really drives the types of patients that I know you're looking for and, and you know, many of the dentists coming through the Dawson Academy are, are, are looking for as well. Yeah, I think, I think initially it's emotional, but, but I actually think for a lot of patients, it's beyond that. I think for a lot of patients that have lived with pain and dysfunction, um, I don't, you know, I think cosmetic stuff might be emotional, but but a lot mm -hmm. of the dysfunction stuff that we see, um, you know, I, I see people that have traveled, you know, across the country, uh, hundred nights, somebody from Charlottesville today, which is a three and a half hour drive. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, the, and that's fairly common and it's like you say, I mean, mm -hmm. but, but what happens is, is you're exactly right when there's a segment of a population out of there and it's certainly not the majority. Um, but if we look at where dentists are right now, the vast majority of dentists are basically fighting for the, the, the kind of patients that, you know, have insurance that want cleaning. They're trying to be convenient they're open from seven in the morning till 10 at night there's some dental practices today that are open 24 hours a day seven days seven days a week um, yeah. and they're trying to be to operate on the lowest fee 
the fastest service, getting people in and out and not volume. And that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. Uh, and, and the great thing about, and you've alluded to it, but the great thing about being, so, being able to solve problems that most people can't is that we stick out a little bit. I mean, there's not as mm -hmm. many dentists that know how to do that. And even though it's a smaller percentage of patients that are looking for that, there's even a smaller, way smaller number of dentists that can handle those type of patients. And since there are patients that generally have more complex issues um, that want solutions, you're exactly right. They're not, they, they appreciate it when we file their insurance and try to get some money back for them, but that's not why they're coming to us. They're coming to get their problem solved. And, you know, I think that's a um, extremely important thing to remember is that when you get in that realm, all of a sudden you can start working when you want to work. You know, I work basically seven to two now. Uh, for a long time, I worked seven to three, but I backed that off another hour. Um, mm -hmm. Play three, four days a week, a lot of times three. Um, but that's plenty for me. I'm 58. You know, I'm slowing back down a little bit. I'm still teaching a, an awful lot, about a third of my time. So, but the point is I can work pretty much the hours I want to work. And, and, and again, that's because that I don't need 60 new patients a month to do what I do. I need, you know, and I guess six to eight good ones, you know, and that's kind of how it works. And, and I got to imagine day to day, it's far more rewarding when you're helping people solve their, their problems than, you know, working in the general day to day hustle and bustle of, of, you know, dentistry. Yeah. I mean, it's a balance. We have a balance of an associate and a couple of hygienists. So, we still do some, you know, we still do the general stuff, but, but the vast majority of my time is more related to the more complex things. And, and again, it is, it is what I enjoy doing. Um, but again, I, it's just the way I'm wired, but I wouldn't, I don't think I'd like dentistry if I was seeing 40 to 50 patients a day. And, and yeah. I like one of the nice things about, doing patients with more complex problems is the appointments are generally longer. There's more conversation about what's going to happen. And so in that time, you get to know them better. It's more relationship based. They're appreciative. They generally pay well. It's just, you know, it's a, as you say, the word, the word is rewarding uh, for sure. Yeah. On a lot of levels. Well, you know, I think that overall concept is a perfect transition as we come full circle back to our topic. And, you know, as we get into this, I just want to kind of share a little story about how, you know, we conceptualize this, this podcast and this overall topic. Um, over the years, you have been quite a, a mentor to, to me and, and Brian at, at Dental Revenue and it really helped us not only learn dentistry, but dentistry from this perspective. And, and from that, we've really developed some, some really good synergies. And, and so we, when we get the opportunity to speak with you, really try to pick your brain as much as possible about how we can provide not only value to the dental market, but value to specific dentists like yours and dentists that want to have practices like yours. And one of the, the concepts that you, you, uh, introduced to us when we first, when we spoke last year was, 
was this idea of congruency and and having to align the message of your practice at all levels with the vision and goal that you have for for your practice. So could you kind of explain and kind of talk about that a little bit because I really find it fascinating and and I think it's very important as people try to maybe transition their practice into something like you're talking about. Sure. I think that um, I think the biggest thing that maybe the most important thing a, a dentist has to do from the beginning is get really, really clear about where they're going. And, 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 and again, in a almost get away from their office if they can. You know, I remember Pete Dawson talking about when he did it, he went into the woods and climbed up into a tree stand uh, and, and sat up there for several hours uh, over a couple of days. And he was got kind of on a hunting trip, but he was really just thinking about his vision. <laughs> so, um, and, and again, I, I tend to do it at the lake on the water and, but, and, and it's something you kind of got to do yearly, but you have to think about, you know, your practice is always changing and the world around you is always changing. So it's really important to be thinking three or four years out what it is you want to be doing and and what you want to be known for and be thinking almost like, you know, if at the end of my career, what do I want the people in my in the community saying about me? What do I, what do I want the patients saying about me? What are other dentists going to say about me? What are, you know, what are you going to be known for? And I, And I think that's a great motivational thing to be thinking about and the great thing about being a dentist is there's so many different things that you can do um i think that i think after that uh you know we talked about then you can start creating the strategies of all the way down to the appointment book about you know how would you schedule um how are we going to get the types of patients to be able to do that and that's more my relationship with you kind of kicked in but you know, mm-hmm. the other thing that that I think beyond that is is that once that vision is created, it's not just the dentistry. So if you're trying to be, you know, doing cases that most dentists can't, patients that come in like that expect a certain level of care, and so that means Absolutely. that yeah, and and that means that when they come in, they expect to be seen on time. They expect front desk people to stand up and welcome them, you know, and look them in the eye. And they expect assistants to be uh, well-groomed and, and friendly. And, and you know, they, they expect to they expect to leave your practice feeling a little better than they, when they walk in. And then beyond that, then the facility has to be, and we use the word congruent, but the, but the facility has to be congruent with that vision. And, doesn't have to be a Taj Mahal, but it it does have to be up to date, and it it has to be clean, and it has to be um, it has to be in line with what it is you're selling. You know, um, we've all yeah, had the experience. Yeah, of, yeah, you've all had that experience of of going to a restaurant that you've heard so much about. It happened to be actually last night on my my <laughs> daughter's 25th birthday. We went to a restaurant we've been a number of times, and it just the whole experience was kind of fell short of what we were yeah. used to. Um, and so, you know, we have to understand that when you're you're paying the dollars or a patient is paying the dollars out of pocket now and and not billing the insurance, then the patient does have 
a legitimate reason to have expectations. And if you can exceed those expectations all the way across the board from how they're handled to how, you know, the place looks and on time and finishing on time and, and being smooth uh, through the process, what I find is even when something doesn't go well, uh, like I put in an eight-unit veneer case today, and the last time we tried it in, we tried it in, and, you know, I, I don't know whether it was our fault or her fault, but whatever reason, she didn't follow the protocol to take care of the provisionals, and so tissues were really inflamed. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't put the case in, and we just had to make new temps and kind of go over it with her. Well, she was all the way in Charlottesville, and, you know, that is one of those things where she was expecting her teeth, didn't get them, but actually left appreciative that we were being so, um, I hate the word picky. Detail or, yeah, picky or detail oriented. Yeah. 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 And, but, but a thing, I think that was all set up before in terms of how we did the exam, how he explained everything was going and, uh, and, you know, she took responsibility for that. And so, but I think there's a congruency there all the way across the board that allowed that to not damage our relationship. And, and she came back today, tissues were perfect, case went in great. Um, so, you know, so I, I think that, I think a dentist as a, you know, whatever environment they're in, whether they're a business owner or associate or, you know, they're working for uh, a corporation or whatever, we still have the capacity, we have some capacity to control some of those things. And anything that I am can touch and control about that congruency becomes really important. So, so I, I think it's fair to to say, as the dentist, you know, decides they're 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 sitting in the their uh, tree stand or they're at their their lake, and they decide that hey, it's time to transition my practice. This is what I want from from my career, my life. That it's not just the decision that they're making for themselves, but really the whole practice because the message has to go down to everybody that that's at the practice um and and everybody really vendor wise that works with the practice as well yeah and, and i also think that what you have to then understand is then it really does create what i call the clarity of choice for the team and you know i, I remember when i took over the first practice that you know dr nicholson's practice he was 74 when he retired and um, you know, and he had this, you know, a couple of employees and, and when I decided about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go, I mean, there were a couple of employees there that didn't really see, they didn't share that vision. And so yeah. it was tough, but those patients, those, those team members ended up moving on and, but then it allowed me to search for people that shared that vision. What was really interesting was that the word kind of got around what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, people were sending me resumes, some really talented people that were actually not happy being in a usual and customary environment. So, mm -hmm. so that clarity of choice for the team, uh, we got to remember that a lot team members want to be where, where they fit and, and so one of the things about having a really good vision that you can articulate um, is that the team will know whether they fit or not. And, and you don't really want people there that, um, that 
that it doesn't fit. I remember seeing a really funny video by uh, Kirk Barrett who, from Act Dental talking about this. And to make the uh, make the point, he was standing uh, in the front of the of a rowboat with a little like uh, little horn that he was you know screaming through, and he <laughs> saw, and you you could only see in the frame him. And as it kind of went back, you saw team members on either side paddling like heck, trying to get the boat going, and it wasn't going anywhere. When you finally got to the back of the boat, there was somebody back there paddling in the opposite direction. And, <laughs> and I think we've all we've all had an employee like that. And, you know, and the thing of it is, is if you don't have a clear vision, then employees like that will tend to hang around because they don't, they just think everything is, they, they don't really know what the practice is about. So, you know, and so I, I, I think that I, I think there are dentists, a lot of dentists that are that are sort of like that. They just feel like that they're out there to do whatever and whatever sort of walks in. And, and we we have the ability to be more specific than that. And I think the more specific we are, then when we talk to somebody like you, it makes it so much easier for you because now you know what to market. You know, you know what to help. Yeah, them. absolutely. Yeah. And if absolutely. somebody doesn't really have a vision what do you, what do you do? Well, you just, you almost have like a yellow page ad on the, on the, and the web, you know, and, and that, and that just doesn't work. Well, you know, that, that brings me to a, a good question and, and something that we've talked about in, in the past as well is, you know, as you start to adopt this philosophy, as you start to try to promote this, um, you know, one of the interesting stories you, you told me was, early on just the struggles of trying to put together a portfolio book and you know so so what have you um uh what what have you done over the years what would you suggest you know what are some some ideas or tips you could give to some of the listeners yeah i mean the first big struggle is obviously being able to um to show people what you can do and so you know, the first step, and this is maybe the hard part, is for our doctors that are beginning with this is initially it, it's hard to get somebody to say yes, because if somebody wants to see work that you've done, you don't have any. Yeah. And, and so fortunately, you know, what I did is, and I think this is what every doctor's got to do, is there's going to be there's going to be people in the practice that already trust you, that have some of these problems where you can you just start at the beginning, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. And that's why looking at it four or five year increments or three to four year increments is important. But there isn't any question today that if you can't take great pictures, that's the first thing you got to learn how to do. That's one of the yeah. reasons yeah. we put such a high priority on it in the academy early on is that is if you can start taking pre-op photographs on everybody, that means eventually there's going to be a good looking case that you'll have the pre-op photograph. I know just about every dentist has great, a great case with no pre-op photograph, which means that case is useless from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's interesting is that what I did early on, and it's so funny now because it, it you know, it dates me a little bit, but um, I kind of took a bold move about year eight in practice right after I moved into my second office and I was watching on our local cable channel. It was channel 11. There was a plastic surgeon that had a 30 minute infomercial on 
and he would just have three or four patients and, you know, and he would kind of the patient, we talking about the pre-op situation and then they would talk about what they wanted. And then Dr. Mladic would talk about what he saw. And then of course they would kind of go over the procedure and then you'd see the post-op results and before and afters. And, and I, I, you know, I called the cable channel and I think it was costing me at the time. I don't know. It wasn't crazy, but it was about 2,500 bucks a month. But that included yeah. me making that infomercial and running it. And I ran it right after the plastic surgeon. Now you got to remember, this was kind of pre- a Great idea. This was, <laughs> but this was pre-internet. I mean, internet was there, but people didn't have websites. I and mean, it was before all that. And so, yeah. so I started to do that. And, and what happened was I was about 25 miles from the ocean front of Virginia Beach where a lot of these kind of cases were going on. And all of a sudden, people started coming out to see me. It really changed my practice because it got me sort of known in the community. But but the key was I had to wait until I had maybe a dozen or so really good cases. And then I had to find three or four people that would do the, you know, do the show. And but what I learned from that, and this is why you've heard me say this, is that I think the mistake we make in marketing is we want to like put a, our face out there and talk about our credentials. And what mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. is driving today's marketing is patients being able to see results. And often what will happen is whether they're looking at a website or back then, you know, when it was that infomercial thing, people would say, you know, I'm like Jeannie, you know, I've, I've got the same mm -hmm. problem. They would identify with, with the, one of those people. And, uh, and so, so we have to make it less about us and more about what we do and more about the, the, the patients, the people that we've actually helped. And the more we can do that, the more I think success we're going to have. Um, Zach Sizzler is one of our, our young dentists that uh, has had great success with us and he's done a ton with social media um instagram Absolutely. and things like that but but his success comes from how beautiful his photography is um oh, so, absolutely. absolutely you know his photography is unbelievable and so you know 33 years old he's doing case after case after case and it's because people can see what he's doing he's so good at it we're actually yeah. going to bring him in and work with our team um <laughs> a lot of things that he, he's doing that we can mimic and with my daughter coming out of dental school, you know, that's the, this is the kind of thing she's, this is her generation now. This is what's happening. But Absolutely. what's great about Absolutely. that, that's not, that's not tremendously expensive to be able to do that. You know, I mean, it, but it is a skill set and you have to make it a priority. And then, and then after that, everything's got to be congruent with it. You know, because once you attract them, they have that level of expectation. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, our last podcast was actually with Zach, and he was going over some of his, we called it do-it-yourself DIY um, uh, smile gallery because he's been able to do within his practice, um, you know, through the process you're talking about, just create a, a wonderful, wonderful smile gallery. So, so as you said, for somebody with at his point in his career to have that many cases up there, you know, is a really testament, a real testament to what he's doing. And, you know, he's been very, very successful with it. But, yeah, and, you know, and one like, is, and like in a part of Pennsylvania where it doesn't make sense that it's happening, you know, that's yeah, the other, exactly. That's that's the other exactly. 
thing about it, he's not sitting in Manhattan. I mean, people are driving a long way for him to do work. Yeah, it's really Absolutely. cool. You know, one of the things about your website and, and overall approach that, that has really been endearing to me over the years is, is really the use of, of your patient videos. And one of the real neat things you do with your patient videos that I think comes off as just so genuine and, and unique is in addition to the video of the patient talking about their experience with you, you have a video of yourself talking about your experience with the patient. And it just is a very nice approach and, and good touch and really falls in line with everything you're speaking about. But when you start to, to seek out um, these patients or you know, when you start to, to identify the cases you wanna use to promote, do you have any any process or any thoughts that that you go through to to make these decisions? Because I can just remember one um, one of the girls had had TMJ problems, and you just literally changed her life in her words. And another was what was somebody that had been coming into your practice as as a delivery guy for years, and you know you helped him with with his smile and his. Um, grandson came up to him and said, "Pop up, you have the whitest teeth." And these things are are things that have stuck with me over the years, and 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 just are very endearing. Do you have any advice or thoughts on on yeah, how do you come to that point? It's funny. The um, that came from me copying what that plastic surgeon was doing. It's really funny, but I I watched what he did, and he and I may have done it. He played that out a little bit more than he did, but. Um, but I do think that, you know, one of the biggest challenges we we have as um, as dentists is, particularly as we get a little bit along in our career, and maybe we get, you know, a good reputation or whatever. One of the challenges with that is that often patients are intimidated of us a little bit, um, and and I think it's important for us to remember that. Um, Whenever we can, if we can show a human side to who we are, uh, I, I think that in, in today's world is important because I think most patients don't want to look up to a doctor maybe like our parents did. You know, so yeah. if we're coming out, if we're coming off like we're in this ivy tower and we kind of seem a little arrogant or whatever, that's going to turn a lot of people off. And so... You know, I, I was intentional about that. I, I wanted to make sure that in in our discussion that I had the opportunity to tell my side of the story and what I learned about the patient. Um, and and it's really interesting. These things are are sometimes filmed, you know, a couple of days apart, and I don't even really know what the patient said until it's all mixed together. But it is cool yeah. when they when they mix it, how congruent it is. How 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 in sync what uh, on sync the what happened and and I think that's important because that's why I don't like I mean I've seen some people where they ha will have like scripts or things like that I think that's a real mistake I think it's better to yep. just put the camera on and let them tell the story and if they flub it up then just do another take but yeah it, it has to come from the heart it's got to be real you can tell the real stuff from the fake stuff. Um, 
And then the other thing that I would tell you is don't necessarily think that the there's sometimes people will say, I'm so nervous and I don't want to do it. And of course, sometimes they really are nervous and they're bad. But yeah, other times, yeah. but other times the nervous people are the best ones because they come off the most authentic. So you don't really know. The best thing is to just line up some patients and you know get somebody in there that can do some some video. You can help them with that. And then it, you know the video, the person videoing has to be pretty good at at asking the questions. But I, I do think it's not a bad idea for the dentist to jot down, uh, you know, be a little bit of the producer there, and you know, kind of think about what you want said. And uh, yeah, but but, but I and then it's up. I, I yeah, and think, then and it, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just say I do think what you um, what you said is um, is important from, and I appreciate it from the standpoint of that I was pretty intentional about the. Uh, the that process of making sure that we were you know i had some input about the patient uh because there again i i want i want it to be seen um about how i really care for the patient you know and that's yeah. a big part of who we are and and it absolutely ties in to everything we've said today and everything you shared with us and and on that note, I mean, really, I, I have one last question, and, and I like to end all of our calls that, this way to sort of summarize everything. And, and obviously, you provided us with a lot of great insight and advice and, and, and tips. Um, but, you know, if you had to leave the listener with, with one thing or a couple things that are most important for them, them to consider, as they start to try to make this transition or maybe they've made the transition but are struggling to get there i mean what would be the advice what would be the first thing you would tell them to do the first thing i would tell them is to not underestimate where we are in dentistry right now i think we are sitting right now at maybe one of the best times ever to be a dentist because of what I was talking about earlier with the ba aging baby boomer population and the volumes of problems we have from the standpoint of functional issues, wear and tear, and people wanting to keep their teeth for a lifetime, people not wanting to go to a denture and literally spending, you know, so much money to have their mouth restored back with implants. So, so that's the first thing. Make no mistake that this right now, I think the next 15, 20, 25, 30 years may be the best time ever. Last population that really grew up without fluoride. So there are still tons and tons of amalgam in their mouths and, and they're going to be living longer than their teeth. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So they're, gonna either, they're either going to need their mouth restored or they're going to need teeth replaced. And But the other side of it, this this population, are highly educated consumers. So as you pointed out, they're not just gonna assume that they're gonna get the same level of work by the guy in the corner. So that yeah. means today, you've gotta get trained. You have to go yeah. out and pay the, the, the price to really be able to solve these problems and not just pay lip service to it. So Dawson Academy, I mean, that's that's kind of where, where we sit. And it's what I'm excited about, about what we do now, because I think we're poised for 
just unbelievable growth and helping the doctors that want to do that. And then secondarily, as you get that those that work on the shelf, be be crystal clear with with where you want your vision to go, uh, what you want to be, surrounding yourself with the the right team in the practice and without outside the practice, uh, the the right lab relationship, uh, people that can help you market that, and then just have a ball. I mean, then just enjoy it. Don't don't expect it to turn overnight. This is a marathon, not a sprint. But what I promise you, if you pay the price and you, and you go down this road, you're gonna you're gonna all of a sudden wake up one day and be in a completely different place. And um, I just you know, one of the things that saddens me a little bit is that I, I what do I have? Maybe six, seven, eight years, something like that. I'm gonna work. Yeah. As, I'm gonna work uh, work until I know my daughter can can do uh, what I do. She's my most important student, and she'll be with me in a year. So that's really cool. Um, but but uh, you know, I'm just I'm just so positive about where we are right now. And uh, but I but I do think that uh, the sad reality is I, I think probably 80, 85% of dentists are going to miss it because I think most dentists are choosing to chase the volume route. But the ones that want to be able to solve problems that most people can't are going to have a hell of a good time. And uh, that's what I'm committed to helping the the dentists that want to do that. I love it. I love it. I think, uh, you know, everything you shared with us today has been just, just great and, and very inspirational. So, so, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to to do this and and you know really bring people through some of your journey and and tell us about the Dawson Academy and then um, ultimately tie it back into you know the steps they need to take to really make sure that as they as they start to make this transition that everything they're doing aligns with these new values and and, and goals so. Um, thank you so much uh, for your time and, and really uh, giving us this, this information today, John. Absolutely, Bill. It's been a pleasure. And uh, again, keep doing what you're doing. You're helping a lot of our guys, so I appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate we appreciate you guys as well. So um, this really concludes our, our call for today. And I want to thank John Cranham for for being our guest, as well as Sarah Alexander, who's John's specialty care coordinator, for really helping me coordinate this time and getting into John's schedule. Um, I also want to thank Nicole Bonin, who's really on on the dental revenue team, and she's behind the scenes doing a lot of uh, work on these podcasts. We really appreciate that. And if um, anybody would like information on, on John as a speaker or information regarding his lecture schedule, uh, we'll provide you with links um, uh, to that in, in the podcast. Also provide information about the Dawson Academy and a link to their website. And ultimately, if you're interested in finding out more about how you can improve your marketing, messaging, and, and, and really trying to get this, this message of congruency out there, um, uh, just feel free to give me a call here at Dental Revenue and we can down and talk about it and talk about where you are and where you need to go. So our next podcast will be uh, in a couple weeks. It'll be with uh, Dr. Doyle Frino talking about how he uses his video gallery to improve case acceptance. And so before I sign off, I just want to say thanks again, John, and and, and really um, give 
uh, you the the uh, deepest appreciation for for giving us your time today. Nah, it's my pleasure. It's fun talking to you, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon about uh, our next uh, our next vision and where we're going. Absolutely. Bye.